This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we give you a full recap of the 45-6 loss to Mississippi State. It is Vanderbilt's 17th straight loss to an SEC team. We discuss our three main takeaways, Vanderbilt's defensive struggles and uh, where they are down in that regard, but also offensively, what can be fixed and can it be fixed for Vanderbilt to get their first SEC win of the season, especially next week with Missouri coming into town. Speaking of the Tigers, they open up as a 17-point favorite against Vanderbilt next weekend. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 118. It is October 25th, 2021. We are back and better than ever. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. And Will, it's time to recap Mississippi State. It was uh, it was more of the same of going back to Florida and Georgia. A lot of those same issues in those games re-popped uh, back up in this one. Vanderbilt loses 45-6. to six. Uh, We'll get our three main takeaways. And uh, we'll also discuss Missouri. They're, they open up as a 17-point favorite over Vandy. So, uh, again, Will, this it's going to be tough to be positive, just like it was uh, against Florida and Georgia. But we're going to try to do our best to, to dive into – uh, more of the same things that have been going wrong with this team, and, and they did uh, against Mississippi State. So, uh, so, so this this should be an interesting recap. Yeah, there, there's a lot to get into here because it, I was saying to you before we started recording here that it's hard to continuously find these stats that showed the same thing that we, yeah. that we're harping on repeatedly episode after episode. So we're trying to find different angles to come at things from and kind of deeper explain the takes that we've already had. Right. Because there's not some light bulb moment that happened during this Mississippi right. State game that's going to change anything of opinions that we've right. had either either direction. Just like I don't in my opinion, there's not a light bulb moment against South Carolina. Mm-hmm. There wasn't one the week before, the week before. It's been the same issues that we've been harping on and griping about since week one, week two, week three, nothing has really changed. Right. So and what we're going to try to get to is the essence of those problems as opposed to saying, look, here are the problems. Here's what happened in the game. This is how this game showed these problems. We, we've right. got to go a little deeper than that. Yes. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this. We're going to take another crack at it. And again, well, this was a game where we, we didn't, neither of us thought it was going to be like this. I mean, I think, you know, we knew Mississippi state had the upper hand. But and I don't think either, either of us thought it was going to end up like that. And there's one big sequence that we're going to dive into. And I think it, it really changed the course of that game. And I think most people know what we're talking about. But let's go ahead and get to the recap. Before we do, though, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. Let's get to the Mississippi State recap. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, let, let's, let's get into it. I've got a few key stats here, um, and, and I know you know we've got a lot with, with some of the deeper issues with this team, but I'm going to start right away with, with the first downs in this game, and I think the first downs are essentially the game in a nutshell, and, and you can look at that one stat and point to that and say, Mississippi State dominated, and, and, and you know that's if you look at any stat, that's the stat I think most people look at, and they go, well, Mississippi State, 29 first downs, Vanderbilt, five. And even if Vanderbilt doubled their amount of first downs, it still would have been a, a two-score, maybe even three-score Mississippi State win. So, Will, for me, it, was, it wasn't necessarily what Vanderbilt was doing on first down. It was what they were doing on those, some of those third-down plays because they were one for 11 on third down as well. And that's, what, that's not going to get it done in any, against anybody. And, you know, the offense, they seemed out of rhythm all day and – and well, the, it, it puts the defense in a tough spot. Now, you know, the offense and the defense, we've been talking about complimentary football. When you only have five first downs and you're one for 11 on third down, that's not complimentary football. And that's just not going to get it done. And, and there's not yeah. much else to say. Yeah, the 45 to six final score looks awful. I mean, it looks terrible. Right. And, and, and you point at that and say, obviously, the offense performed poorly if you only put up six points. But obviously, you would look at that stat line and say the defense was just terrible. And I don't think that that is what I saw watching that game was the defense being terrible. I tweeted out, uh, if you watch this game and you watch that first half when they were down 21 points, are the individual players, if you swapped those jerseys for Mississippi State, 21 points better than this Vanderbilt team? It played out that they were, but I don't believe they were. Was Mississippi State probably 21, 28 points better than Vanderbilt player for player? Probably, Probably so. Um, I, I think they were better. And I'm not saying that any of these game plan adjustments are things that we are discussing. I believe in so- the South Carolina game last week, if you swap those jerseys, that South Carolina still wins with the players Vanderbilt has. And I right. think vice versa. I think that the coaching decided that game. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is the case here. But right. I think that if you look at this and say it was just about the players on the field is why they mm-hmm. lost 45 to 6. That's just as lazy as saying it was all about the coaching, and that's right. why they lost 45 to 6. It's a combination, and that's right. why you saw when you were talking about right there that it's complementary football, defense creating turnovers, offense scoring off those, building momentum. You didn't see that at all. You really didn't see the coaching and the players in sync this game whatsoever right. either. And I know we've talked about a lot of the same issues in most of these games, but I think it does come down to every game is different. And in this game, I'm not, you know, we talked about it earlier. I don't think there's one thing we came away with learning about this team in this game. All of these issues, we knew they were going to pop up. We knew Mississippi State was going to gain yardage. And we knew that it, for Vanderbilt to be close, they were going to have to bend but not break. And they broke. And and it was, well, we talked about it, it was death by a thousand cuts and that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened and that was one of your keys i think it was your main key don't die by a thousand cuts and that's what happened and will it, it, it the total yards obviously it's awful mississippi state 522 and 461 through the air so they, they didn't run the ball at all like we knew they wouldn't uh, but vanderbilt offensively was just inept 155 total yards only nine rushing yards and will i point to that rushing 
that rushing outage as well. Vanderbilt should have had more rushing yards than Mississippi State. That defense, yes, they're bigger than Vanderbilt up front. I think they're bigger than South Carolina up front, but that's no excuse for Vanderbilt to, to have that lack of production at, at, the, at the running back position. I mean, Rocco Griffin and Patrick Smith, eight carries, 14 yards together. That's, that's not going to get it done against anyone. MTSU, ETSU, it's just not. So I, I think, Will, also the time of possession. Mississippi State nearly doubled Vandy in that category, and that was something we talked about. Okay, we know Mississippi State's probably going to win that time of possession mark, but if Vanderbilt can you know, maybe get a little bit closer than, than we may think, they might have a shot. But none of those things happened. None of those things happened to where we thought, okay, if this happens, Vandy will have a chance. Literally none of them happened. Yeah, nothing material yeah. – Excuse me. Material. Materialized as we have a train coming by, so I'm going to be yes. real here, Billy. Yeah, I got this. you. I'll get to some of the individual stats here before the uh, before we get the train out of here. Will Rogers, just at, insane numbers, 41 of 57, 384 yards, four touchdowns. And Mike Wright, not the best day for him. It, it, was, it was a tough day in the yard for Mike, 12 for 17, 122 yards, one interception. And I talked about Rocco Griffin and Patrick Smith already. But, Will, Devin Body, I know that's there's not a ton of positives here, but four catches, 69 yards, the longest play of the season, a 61-yard completion from Mike Wright to Devin Body, which was actually beautiful. It was a nice route, good throw uh, by Mike. That was really all the offense had going for him. But um, I know you had something there after that train went by. Yeah, it was the it's amazing to look at those stats now that you've run through there and then I'll jump back to what I was going right. to say. But you look at the stats from Mike Wright, he had 122 passing yards, 12 of 17. You're saying, you know, it's not good, but it's not terrible. Well, 61 of that came on the second drive of the game, <laughs> one pass to Devin Body, who Devin Body also had 69 yards receiving, right. and 61 of that came on one pass in that game. But going back to why the defense this defense, year, yeah. we keep saying the defense is improving. And it's not really reflecting that way on the board because they gave up 45 points. You read off those stats, but it's tough to watch that air raid. An air raid offense is even more demoralizing to watch march up and down the field, I think, than right. a run-heavy offense like Georgia. Uh, Mississippi State didn't have a pass over 31 yards. And you exactly. could see that Will Rogers was kind of favoring that shoulder. They weren't looking down the field. He played phenomenally mm -hmm. well. But you could see they were not really wanting to take those shots deep. And I'll get into the game plan yes. uh, later in our keys. But I do want to get to one thing with the defense, the offense, listen to just the number of plays in this play sequence for Vanderbilt throughout the first half. So Vanderbilt starting with their first drive, three plays. Mm -hmm. Second drive, five plays. Third drive, one play. Fourth drive, three plays. Fifth drive, four plays. And end of half, one play. So what, what I'm saying here is, yes, the did not look good. The defense's game plan, I didn't think, matched up with what they needed to do to stop Mississippi State's mm -hmm. air raid attack. With that being said, it's really hard to do anything on defense when they have this long 10, four, and then we'll go read Mississippi State's yes. in the first half in their first drive. Eight plays, 14 plays, five plays, 10 plays, 11 plays, three plays. That's so when you tough. are coming off an eight play, 14 play, and then your offense is three, a quick three and out, it's hard to bounce back from that or you create a turnover and then your offense turns the ball over. Right. Like that is just, it sets the defense up for failure. And when you look at back at that South Carolina game, Vanderbilt won the turnover battle. They had created four turnovers and only had two. They won the turnover battle again today against Mississippi State. Won it two to one, should have been three to one. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm. But 
when you win the turnover battle, you should at least be in the game, if not win the game. Mm-hmm. And they have the defense has created those turnovers and done enough to put this in put this team with a chance to create a close game. Yes. Not saying that if that it, that they've played well enough to keep them in the game, regardless of what the offense does. But if this offense can put together any sort of drives, the defense did enough to not have them lose forty five to six. This easily could have been a 28 to 13 type yeah. of loss with yeah. how the defense played. Yeah. And we Vanderbilt won the penalty battle too. Will we talked about that. They played, you know, in a sense, clean football, but you know, they, 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 they won the turnover battle as well. So I, I think, Will, it's, it's so tough to look at this one from that glass half full. This is a glass half empty podcast, at least this episode, uh, because there's not, there's, there's not much to go in, in the direction of positivity. And, and I, I think you could see in that first half, Will, the offense they felt the pressure as that first half went on. You could tell Mike Wright was sensing that, okay, we need a big play here. We need a couple big plays to string together a drive, get on the board. But, you know, that it never materialized, like you said. But, Will, one guy, and he's actually my key, but Jalen Mahoney, he led the team with 10 tackles. He had an interception, should have had two, just an atrocious call that, that – the fact that they even decided to review that was was outrageous. Um, but he continues to impress, and and I'll talk more about him and just his raw athleticism. And and you know that's something you look at and say, wow, they, they need a few more of those guys on the field. So, uh, well, let's get into the keys here. I'm going to start, and we we I touched on this a little bit at the top, but they had a killer sequence. It was right at the beginning of that second quarter, and I think this sequence changed the entire complexity of the game. And I'm referring to. The sequence early to begin that second quarter it lasted about nearly four minutes, 350. First, Jalen Mahoney intercepts a Will Rogers pass, and we're like, okay, here's a turnover. This will this will give the offense some momentum, give the defense a break. That was on second and 13 for the Mississippi State 35-yard line. But what does that create? That creates a Vanderbilt first and 10. What do we get though? We get a Mike Wright interception, and it was an awful interception. And and you know we're gonna put it bluntly that, that he threw it. It was intended for Chris Pierce, I think, but it was five yards in front of him, and it was a Chris Pierce throw, wasn't so. Chris Pierce wasn't even looking for no, the ball at all. No, he wasn't. And and you know we're not putting that on on Chris Pierce. That's a threat. That's on Mike mm-hmm. Wright, and and that that is on Mike Wright. And uh, so Mississippi State now gets the ball back at at the forty yard line. So basically, that interception from Mahoney results in nothing. And it means nothing. And we've seen that this, 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 this season. We've seen turnovers create essentially nothing for this offense. Then we get another Mahoney interception, the diving interception. One, honestly, Will, one of the better interceptions I've seen all, all year. It was a tremendous play, diving call, uh, but it was an atrocious call to overturn it. And, and, you know, it was pretty similar, I think, to the Chris Pierce play. But mm-hmm. Mahoney caught that after the game. He said he caught that. And that's another one where SEC refs strike again. And, and again, it makes the job harder, 10 times harder for Clark Lee. So Jalen Mahoney's interception overturned. Mississippi State has a fresh set of drives. But, Will, on fourth down, we get an Alex Williams roughing the punter call. Not the best time for that. And I know immediately after, there was another situation where Vanderbilt, in that situation, after – the uh the the, uh, the Alex Williams roughing the punter they should have that's another that's a, after that they should have done that so we get an Alex Williams roughing the punter Mississippi State gets another fresh set of downs they convert a fourth and one and then Rogers finds Makai Polk for a 31 yard touchdown and all of a sudden will a 14 point deficit two score game feels like a 28 point deficit because of everything that happened leading up to that and 
Well, I told you after the game, we were talking uh, like like we usually do that phone call, that the late night call. I I yeah. told you, I told you, love it. I told you this team is just not good enough to have that happen to survive that type of sequence, which means their margin for error is so slim, and we've known that the whole season. On first and ten, immediately following an interception, a, a huge interception from Mahoney. Mike Wright throws an interception. That simply can't happen. You can't have that uh, after a momentum type of play like that. And, well, I know we said Vanderbilt didn't turn the ball over a ton. That was the only turnover they had. But they shot themselves in the foot like that Alex Williams roughing the punter. You can't have that either. So that that whole sequence was Vanderbilt shooting themselves in the foot. And then you kind of felt, boom, after a click of the finger, after a snap of the finger, you saw Mississippi State take the advantage and – you know, you you just felt like it was over at that point. And, and it, you know, as as close as it still was, Vinny's only down by two touchdowns. You just felt that way in the momentum and the feel of the game. So that's mine, Will, the killer sequence that ultimately killed Vanderbilt in, in, in that in that second quarter. You put you hit the nail on the head that this team is not I don't want to even use the term good enough to come back from that. But Bruno Reagan and Chris Lee did a recap right after the game. And, yes. and Bruno hit on a, a really good point where he said this team just doesn't know how to win. Most of these he said people make fun of that comment and it's more coach speak and they don't know right. how to win. But that is a, this sequence is what he's talking about, where you have two things that are extreme, bring up a lot of adversity mm-hmm. and you have to. Yes but outmatched and for this team it's hard to get past the human nature mindset of here we go again right and that that leads me kind of perfectly into my key one which is going to be overarching not just Vanderbilt but I have to have this be my key one which is replay in college football is broken and it's very evident in a the Jalen Mahoney interception overturn Mm -hmm. and and b even more so the Chris Pierce touchdown against Florida and Vanderbilt has had two perfect examples of why this was and, and, and I know I know you were a big spot the Ben Bresnahan yeah, but spot. That, that I was going to get into that and touch on that that's not my overarching point of one but Joe Rexrode I want to comment on this is me Joe and Joe Rexrode went Will. we went back and forth for a while <laughs> he had I actually like that he was good natured about it went back and forth that's that's great I don't care I love arguing <laughs> with people but where he gets confused on that is it's not a, a conspiracy and bias are two different things a conspiracy means there's top down from the SEC officiating office, SEC head office in Hoover, that they are like, do not allow Vanderbilt to win. That's not happening. That's no. not what I mean whatsoever. But there is bias, and that's undeniable. If you are a human being, and these referees are human beings doing a job, and you're in front of 100,000 people in orange, red, or purple and yellow, and they're screaming at you. And naturally, you know if I come out and make kind of calls that are a, even a little bit slanted, towards Tennessee, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, that I'm going to have 100,000 people screaming at me, A, and B, there are going to be consequences because the SEC officiating office is going to be all over me. Even if I make the right call, I'm going to have to deal with this. So maybe just naturally, subconsciously, they slant towards that way. And you've seen it for years with Vanderbilt because there are no consequences. It's the Vanderbilt effect. The smallest fan base in the SEC. There's not a raucous crowd at home. There are no consequences to, you know, kind of giving the spot to Mississippi State. Yes. And that's that's what I mean with bias is I'm not saying that they're going into the game wanting it to happen. But at this point, it's undeniable that there is bias towards Vanderbilt. But onto the replay, I thought maybe they had changed the rules. 
because that's I what it felt that, like. I always thought that it is indisputable video evidence to overturn a call, what was called on the field. And that is what I've grown up hearing that it is only replays put in to change egregiously wrong calls on the field, i.e., a guy obviously was down and they called a fumble or they called a complete pass and the guy completely lost the ball or didn't even come close to getting his feet. And that's what replay is for or an obvious missed spot. So I went and I actually looked up the 2021 NCAA football rule book. And I want to read article two. I want to quote this right. Here we go. Rule 12, section one, instant replay, article two on the full philosophy of instant replay in college football. And I'm going to read this directly in quote. Article two, the instant replay process operates under the fundamental assumption that the ruling on the field is correct. The replay official may reverse a ruling if and only if the video evidence and in parentheses rule 12.6-1c convinces him beyond all doubt that the ruling was correct. Without such indisputable video evidence, the replay official must allow the ruling to stand to beyond all doubt, not without a reasonable, beyond a reasonable. This is even a higher precedent than our legal system has not beyond a reasonable without all if there's a one percent of people can watch that replay and not be sure the call on the field stands and it is broken because you could have 50 60 percent of people and say i don't know they, it, whatever was called on the field you just got to go with it there's not an angle that shows that there's not anything to overturn so if it was incomplete on the field i think you have more of an argument it could be overturned to complete I don't understand what is going on and maybe it's a conspiracy they talked about this chris lee and bruno did but it's a conspiracy the, maybe to sell more advertisements the that's fact, the only thing I, it doesn't make any sense to me how they are butchering this week in week out when it clearly states in the 2021 ncaa football rulebook exactly what i just read officiating is not a hard job it's not it is very very simple and there are very few jobs on this planet that have laid out as clearly and concisely your responsibilities and how to enforce the rules and they still screw it up and i don't know why there's all this slack there's no consequences if i go into work and i just screw up an entire day i have consequences the next day i might not get a promotion i i probably might get fired there's no consequences they'll be out there next saturday i don't that is where it is broken. There's no in in NFL. They grade out. They release these rankings. They get better slotted games. Where is that? Yeah. Where is that in yeah. SEC? Where is that in college football? It is broken and repeatedly. This did not change the outcome of this game. But you re repeatedly see flows of games change based on horrendous replay, not confirmations or not reviewing and not overturning because they stopped the game and changed. Yes. That is where I think if they just don't for a long stop time the game and blow it, I don't understand, Billy. No, it's I'll, well, I, I think I I'd, I'd love to wonder if there's been a note sent from Candace Story Lee to the SEC office. I'd love to know that, and if there hasn't been, that's awful. That's a joke. There has to be consequences for Van, even for Vanderbilt, and and the fact that the concept, the Joe Rexford concept, that there's a top-down conspiracy. I don't believe that. But I'm with you. There's there's complete bias when a referees walk in. That's yes, what the people will try to spin. And Joe Rexford lead is a good example of they'll try to spin bad calls happen every game. I say that all the time. I don't I'm not saying that Vanderbilt's the only team to have bad calls against them. I don't have the time because I have a full time job. I would love to go back and do it. I would love to chart objectively bad officiating calls 
for SEC teams, and I would bet my life Vanderbilt's that Vanderbilt the leads the yes. pack. That and they, that they are either number one or number two, and that's not a coincidence. I want I want to let you know, by the way, too. I'm Team Will all the way uh, in that, and and I got you. So <laughs> there, there's no, nothing to worry about there. But well, let's get into. We still got two more keys to get to. I'm going to get to my number second one, and I, we talked about this too after the game. Will uh, we, we basically went over our keys after after the after the game? But I said not enough blitzes. And I know Vandy finished with three sacks. That's a positive note. But I feel like they could have had even more because we, you know, we talked after the game, but Will Rogers did not look comfortable back there. It seemed a couple times on those sacks, he just sort of crumbled and fell to the ground and, and allowed Vanderbilt, like on that Davion Davis sack, credit to Davis for sacking him, but he had tons of time back there and he just, no one was open. So he just kind of, you know, melted to the ground. So I, I, and that's obviously because he didn't want to get hit. That's all because of the Alabama game and, and the fact that he got mauled in that one. So, I just feel like, Will, this was an area before this game even started that Jesse Minner could have attacked, and they did. They sent blitzes, but I think they could have sent even more. And when you see blood in the water, when you smell blood in the water, you got to attack it, and you need to continue to do that. And, you know, I'm not saying every single play, but I think, you know, if it's a first down, second down, third down, you should be doing it on second and third down, at least two of those plays. And if the drive continues, you should continue to do that. Because, Will, it seemed like watching this game, I'm not exactly sure how many blitzes they sent, but I don't have the stat in front of me. But every time Jesse Metter sent pressure with a couple guys, it either resulted in an incompletion, a sack, or an interception. It was not, you know, almost the entire game, nothing positive happened after Vanderbilt sent two or three guys on a blitz for Mississippi State. So, and I think, Will, it's hard to, it's hard to say this right now, but I think this defense's identity is takeaways and having active arms at the line of scrimmage. I know they just gave up 45. It's hard to talk about an identity. But on Saturday, I just I simply don't think they dialed up enough blitzes. And I'm not saying that would have, you know, I'm not saying Vanderbilt would have won if they do this. You know, we're not talking about that. But I'm saying yeah, we some need of to these keep drives, repeating that because people will take what we are saying as if the staff makes this adjustment, they win. Yes, yeah, so we're, not, we're not, I'm not. I'm not there's saying not that. There's not every all. criticism of the staff does not mean this adjustment would have created a win. No, but we're there not. Are, there are improvements to be made. Yes, we're, I want to get that ingrained into these fans' yes. minds that I'm not saying, oh, if they do this, Vanderbilt would have won. And even before the podcast, we said they have a shot. And, and we never we were never saying they would have won this game. But I, again, well, it goes back to finding a, an identity. I think this defense is beginning to find that. But again, they didn't play enough complimentary football. And I just think if you would have seen a couple more blitzes, maybe on some of those drives, maybe another interception comes, maybe a forced fumble comes. So I just think when you see blood in the water, if you're Jesse Minner and even Clark Lee, who's collaborating there in that defense, you got to attack it. You got to. So number two for me is, is simply not enough blitzes. Yeah, you've seen it throughout the year. I don't have these huge overarching issues with defensive game plan most of the time. I, right. it, regardless, I just think there's a matter slow. of it's a matter of not having dudes. And we've talked I, about it. I think both sides of the ball, it's a matter of just getting the right pieces to fit, but also, but on all, but on defense, it's even more that to me because I see what they're trying to do. It's even more evident. They needed to blitz more. They did send some pressure and they were able to get pressure. They got some coverage sacks. And so I'll get to my key too, because it kind of overlays on yours, but it's the staff's refusal to change. And it's just 
repeatedly week in, week out, we're trying to do the same things. And I don't feel like there's a, these major adjustments based on the team or based on how your personnel is playing. And Dariki Wright was out due to some disciplinary reasons. Yes. So that hamstrung them a little bit in this game specifically. But my number one key before before the Mississippi State game was you can't buy, die by a thousand cuts. Mm -hmm. You're going to have Will Rogers coming in who doesn't want to get hit. You touched on that. He was mm -hmm. crumpling every time there was pressure on him. But where I had the issue with the game plan was you saw repeatedly these five to eight yard cushions to start out the game. And sometimes they would, on that they first were not drive. their zone for whatever reason, just falls apart against, uh, against anything in the middle of the field. When they do drop back eight or drop back seven and they send one extra blitzer, <laughs> that middle of the field opens after half a second when yes. they're in zone. A lot of those interceptions from what it looked like, I, I wasn't able to go back and watch the game as much as, uh, like I usually do. Yeah. But a lot of those looked like they were in man type coverage and and guys made plays on the ball and Jalen Mahoney like you said he's a fluid legit athlete oh, if yeah. they could have Jalen Mahoney's in that secondary this defense would be much 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 yeah. better um, and he's able to capitalize on those but I wanted I want to say that this team never even it's not that I think it would have worked sending a ton of pressure and pressing in man and just saying beat us up top they may have beaten them up top yes and if that happens in the first two drives of the game switch out of it and go back to your base coverage but give the guys a chance to win how your game plan was laid out and how clark lee and jesse mentor's game plan was laid out from the beginning there was no opportunity for vanderbilt to win this game from the opening drive they did not have a chance playing defense how they were playing mississippi state was going to move the ball and have five to 15 yard plays over and over and over and that's shown by mississippi state did not have a pass completion over 31 yards they mm -hmm. didn't hit them deep Clark Lee wants to play bend but don't break defense, and that's fine most of the time, especially with the talent differential Vanderbilt has. Mississippi State lives off bend but don't break defense. If you play bend but don't break, Mike Leach is sitting over there cheering with his arms up in the air. And talking and about Halloween candy. Yeah, exactly. That's what you saw. You had an injured quarterback that obviously was a little bit, he's he's not 100%, could not throw the ball deep, and you did not adjust your game plan based on that at all. And I do want to touch on one thing on the offense, which is right after that 61-yard drive. I know I've said it every week, but our 61-yard pass from Mike Wright to Devin yes. Body Jr. on the second drive of the game for Vanderbilt ultimately resulted in a field goal for Bullivis. Mm -hmm. But they complete that 61-yard pass on a beautiful play call. Just gorgeous awesome. play design, awesome. gorgeous pass. They were aggressive. First down at the Mississippi State 14 is Rocco Griffin run up the middle. Second down at the Mississippi State 13 is Rocco Griffin run up the middle. And that that's where I get to it, which is, do I think that if you brought over my ideal offensive game plan that this offense would be good, especially with Mike Wright right now at quarterback? Probably not. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, they, that, that a game plan adjustment would have been enough to be like this offense is clicking up mm -hmm. and down the field. It is enough to right there say that's a bad play call. And mm -hmm. there's little things when you are Vanderbilt, like rushing the punter in that situation. Why do you do that? Um, there's, there's when, no is, when was the last time Vanderbilt actually blocked a punt? Not a fumbled snap. Why are you remember. aggressively rushing? And then the part that, that set me off was at the end of the half, Vanderbilt actually gets a stop and their Mississippi State is on their mm -hmm. own 24. Yes. There's 11 seconds left in the half. Mississippi State is punting. They did not even send a blitzer. They didn't send pressure. 
And that to me is like right there is when you send the pressure because if yes. you run into them, they get a 15 yard penalty. There's like three seconds left in the half and they're going to kneel it out anyway. Send the house. Don't even have a returner back there. But you decided to do it after already a negative momentum play. I understand you might be trying to create positive momentum after yeah. that overturned interception, but that's stupid. The it percentage is. payoffs, I, you have to and, evaluate everything from a risk-reward ratio. Yeah. And this staff has a real, real problem evaluating risk and reward. Yeah. And, and that is just a, that's just a sign of inexperience. Yeah, and it goes back to Vanderbilt not knowing how to win games. And that was a great point by Bruno Reagan there. And, Will, I also said, going back to the offense, I, think, I don't think they sent Mike Wright on enough design runs either. And we talked about that before the game. And that's just another, another element of the offense. But, you know, when you get inside that red zone after that, after that 61-yard completion – why not give Mike Wright a chance to run it? And, you know, we saw that a few times, but uh, again, I think this offense is, you know, we're, we're still learning about some of the elements here, but again, I think there is some, some more deeper issues that we haven't even gotten to, but Will, you just touched on Jalen Mahoney. He's my third key or three main third main takeaway. And all I got is, wow. I mean, this guy, we've talked about it, him throughout the season. And, and I think he's gotten better. Like last season, he wasn't this kind of player. And I think he did a nice job of developing and, and he stick, he stuck with Clark Lee here. He wasn't one of those guys that transferred out. I think cause he knew he was going to be the leader of that back end of the defense. He, he's second on the team in tackles right now with 39, two sacks in the season also, which is rare from a corner, two interceptions. He should have three. And, you know, we saw we've seen throughout the season without him, will this Vandy defense would be in a totally different spot and because he's made so many of those momentum plays, whether it's a sack, whether it's an interception, whether it's a pass breakup that have given that momentum to the offense, but they have not been able to do anything with it. I'm not even sure they beat Colorado State without his game changing interception there. And so, Will, it it's obvious Vandy needs more Jalen Mahoney's on the team. They need more raw athletes that can change the game in one play. I'm not sure they have you know, even two or three of those guys. I think Jalen Mahoney on defense is one of those guys. We saw Odangbo last season was one of those guys. Offensively, I don't think anyone's emerged. And we've talked about that. You know, we, we love Will Shepard. We love Pierce. We love Mike Wright's running ability. But I think defensively, you see a guy like that on Mahoney. But the offense is still waiting for that that guy to step up as as the dude, as, as the guy to go to. And they don't have that. I think Ramon Davis was slowly maybe becoming that guy. But, you know, of course, he, he had to get injured. So, I think his diving interceptions, Will, I, I talked about it. That was one of the better interceptions I've seen all season. I would expect him to have at least two more interceptions by the end of the season with the way he's playing. He's just so active. He anticipates every throw. And going back, Will, Casey Hayward, he had seven interceptions in one season. Uh, there was once eight interceptions one season uh, before Hayward, back in the 80s, I think. Jalen, I'm not saying he's going to get to seven. He's got a long way to go. But with the pace he's going at, if he has an inter interception, Every game here to close out, he's going to get close. He's just been that good. So, again, well, we've talked about how hard it is to, to scratch and claw for, for some of these positives. But I think throughout the season, he's been a positive. This is more of a where, we are at, where we're at through the season. Without Mahoney, boy, this defense would be in a different spot. And he's created so much. And you haven't seen that. Guys that create. Patrick Smith against Florida, he created for himself. Mahoney has created not only for himself but for the team. So they need more of that. And so Jalen Mahoney, because of that, is my third key. As I cough here. <laughs> but Jalen Mahoney is credit to Derek Mason. 
Mason was high on him when Mahoney came in. Yes. And Mahoney has impressed me from week one. He had some bad plays against ETSU where he didn't get his head around, but you could see the fluid athleticism. Mm -hmm. And that's what Vanderbilt just doesn't have right now. They they have some solid guys. You see, Anthony Orgy is actually a guy yeah. that I point to and say he is kind of that same way. He's the right build. He's the right athlete. Mm -hmm. had, does he have the right size right now necessarily to be a dominant linebacker in the SEC? Hopefully he gets bigger and can yeah. progress throughout the strength and conditioning program. But just the build of what they want him and Judy Lolly, I actually think, um, has potential as mm -hmm. well. That is what they want. That's what they need in that secondary. They yes. need these athletes. And they just haven't had those at the end of the Mason era. They just didn't. And they did when they had guys like Joan Williams. They had yes. Tarpley. They had, they had these real athletes on that back end. Yes. And you just haven't seen that. So hopefully in the future with Brendan Harris and some of these recruits coming in that they have young guys in the secondary. That's mm -hmm. why we have been not as harsh on the defense because yes. – we can see it improving, and we can see in two years this could be a really good defense. Mm -hmm. So we've been a little lighter on that. Especially with of some of those younger guys coming in as freshmen. Exactly. Too, yeah. It's a very young defense that yeah. I think can grow. Tank Sujic on there, yes. Marcus Bradley. But I want to get to my third key, which is this team doesn't have an identity, and that's resulting in what I actually want my third key to be, which is the crowd is dead and the fan base is dead. I've been going to games since I was six <clears> years old. I have never seen a more dead Vanderbilt crowd than at this Mississippi State game. And that doesn't mean I've never seen a lower number of Vanderbilt fans there. I have. I certainly have seen less Vanderbilt yes. fans in the stadium for a game. It actually, you know, probably not much, 8,000, 10,000 Vanderbilt right. fans. But it was just, there was no, when there was a big play, there were, it didn't erupt the same way. When there was a bad call, it was me and one other guy in my section were the only ones booing. Other Vanderbilt fans are turning around like, dude, why do you even <laughs> care at this point? I mean, it's literally like you stand up to cheer for a play and it's like people are snickering at you. Vanderbilt fans are like laughing at you. It's like, are we opponents. not allowed to react? No, it, it's very bizarre. I've never, I am, I, that makes me well, more poorly behaved at games because I stand up like it's like on that spot where Bresnahan was clearly there or the turned over interception. I was the only one that was booing. I mean, it was, I don't know what it sounded like on TV, but I, there were like four people. I could And everybody was just kind of, everybody was just kind of looking at me and I was, <laughs> We just got absolutely bent over on that replay review, and I'm the only one standing up in my entire section, and therefore, then, uh, you know, I had to go move because I probably <laughs> said some words I shouldn't have. But this team, the, the staff, that's why it's so hard for yes. Ryan Carlson does an incredible job doing recaps of the games, and, and we put them up on doorport.com. Credit to him. The Mississippi State recap. Seems hard to recap because they don't have an identity. They don't have a thing you can point to and say, this is what they're doing well. This is what needs to get better. You, can, you can't say the passing game's doing okay or the running game's doing okay and the offensive line just needs – it's everywhere. The, coach, the coaching game plan's bad. The performance in the field by the players is bad. And that's where the Ramon Davis injury, I think, was more detrimental hurts. Than, than we could even describe. And we tried to hit how key that was because you, think, need yeah. a, you need a guy. You need and and for Vanderbilt with Shermer and Vaughn, they had multiple guys. You had mm -hmm. faith that Shermer or Vaughn were, could going lean to on make, were going to make the play that ninety percent of other players in the in NCAA football were not going to make. I don't think that they have anyone on this roster that you point to and say you can't just sub in another random second stringer right. from the opponent's team and they can do the same thing. Right. And that sounds harsh. That sounds over the top mean, but it's just honest. They don't there's nobody who is Vanderbilt's key best player that you can't take out of the game next week who is the one player that if individual that you say oh no that's not good if he's out because we used to have that when vaughn 
was on that team. Webb was on that team. Stacy, Matthews, Boyd. You had guys that you said, oh, crap, they're out this week. Our offense is not going to be able to do anything. There's no one player or any or even a group of players that you say, oh, no, he's out next week. Even our starting quarterback, we didn't right. say that for. And that's just they don't have an identity in this game plan throughout the year. It just It's not setting anything up. On second on the second drive of the game with your game game uh, calling sequence play calling sequence, what is Joey Lynch setting up on the fifth drive of the game? What is he setting up with this motion? What is he setting up with? We ran it to the right side here, but now we have a play action naked mm-hmm. boot on this side with Bresnahan leaking out to the flats. Where is that? I don't see a, a congruent put together game plan that is setting up different things throughout the game. And you see that with the stretches because they're not saving anything. They're not setting anything up. There's, there was no play to Devin Body Jr. later where he actually came back across the middle instead of cutting it up right. deep on that slant on that sluggo route <laughs> that he ran or deep in and up that he ran. Right. And that's where they they haven't created an identity a because of players. It's not all on Lynch, but also Lynch has not helped in creating those key guys. He has not helped in creating the go-to guys because week in, week out, where was Will Shepard after the performance last week? He had, what, two targets, no receptions? Also Cam Johnson, too. Yeah, Yeah, Cam. you had this performance from him last week week where you're like, okay, maybe Will Shepard is the guy. Maybe he's the guy where, like, we can't lose. He is the stud of this offense, but then he disappears from the game plan. He's not even involved. That's where I have the issue with the staff. Not saying that their play calling would be what changes the outcome of the game, but you're not even giving these players the opportunity to succeed because they have no idea when when they're going to be involved. When are they needing to be ready to go? Let's go because this would seem like an obvious game where Shepard and Johnson and Bresnan <clears throat> would be really, really heavily involved, and you just didn't see that. No, I'm, I'm with you 100%, and everything you just said, Will, is what makes Clark Lee's job the biggest, one of the biggest rebuilds in college football history, especially Vanderbilt history. I think his job right now is even harder than what Bobby Johnson had to do because of how deep Derek Mason sent this roster into the ground. And I'm, you know, again, I hate blaming it all on Derek Mason, but a lot of it is on the administration as well. Yes, a lot, and a lot of it. Derek Mason, what they did with Sarah Fuller was towards the end was, of that season. It was, it's it was regardless just, of what you think of the Sarah Fuller situation, you're seeing the effects of it now. You are. That was just a, a team that had already lost faith in an administration. And then the administration saying, you guys have struggled really badly this year. Here's another slap in the face. Here's like, here's take, the salt in the wound. We are going to take all the attention away from you guys and turn it onto this. And we're going to get benefit as a university from our liberal millionaire donors. And you as players are going to have to deal with every bit of this backlash on social media right. and in your personal life. And, and you're going to be made fun of relentlessly on social media and from your friends and peers. But we're going to do this because it makes Vanderbilt look good. Yes, and a lot and of it, I think they are still damaged from that. And Clark Lee had a long way to go. He he did, and a, and a lot of it is the the university's impression and what they're doing, what they're trying to do. But that's not going to help you win games. I think once this administration is fully on board with whatever Clark Lee wants to do with this program, you would then you will see translations. But we've talked about it a lot. It's going to take a while, and a, a lot of it will is there's no fans. There's no fan base, and and once this team, Clark Lee has said it, once they're able to find that identity and connect with the fans, it's gonna it, this will work. It's, but it's gonna it's take. Not a, we well, talked about it, Billy, after the game. It's not a chicken and the egg scenario. We always talk about is getting fans in the building and and winning and whatever is is a chicken and the egg. That's not true. The chicken and the egg is you have to recruit in good athletes to win. 
well, does the support come from the recruits coming in with facility upgrades or does that come from the on the field product first? And it's not chicken and the egg. That stadium under James Franklin, and they won back-to-back game. It was electric. And it was 80% Vanderbilt fans outside yeah. of very few fan bases. Almost nobody took over that And you stadium. never really saw that. You never saw and that Nashville's before, in And Nashville's in the Titans are struggling to have they, too many yes. opposing fans in their stadium. They, Vrabel had to comment on that. Nashville is yes, an it did. city. It's the only it city in this 400-mile radius. Of course, you idiots. Vanderbilt's going to have trouble having opponents come into their fan base. The Tennessee Titans do, and they're one of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah. So we need to shut up about that aspect. And just say Vanderbilt should never have on their side, on their season ticket side, if you win games, that thing will be packed full black and gold. Yes. It's simple. Fans like to watch winning products. If you everybody talked about the stadium not being a good experience, screw that. Fans right. will go and sit on milk crates if you have a winning product on the field. They don't care. You don't have to have serve water and they will come and watch a winning team <laughs> on that field. So all this stuff is great. But there should be no gripes from this administration, no gripes from the players, because I keep seeing things like the players deserve better than this. The, play, the, the staff deserves better. And I'm all in favor. I'm at every game. I'm supporting them regardless. So let me get that out there. We've, but got, we've they, got Will Byram on board. That's they, good. I, I'm not on board, but I'm there supporting. <laughs> but they don't deserve support. This university doesn't deserve fan base support. It is hard to go out there week in, week out, man. I haven't seen good football in that field since 2018. It's, it's hard. Tough. I'm it's as tough. die hard as they come. So I understand why people aren't coming out there. And stop with the deserve stuff. Earn it. Show this fan base that has been beaten and bruised by lack of lack of involvement and just and the and the university not caring about them. Give us something to latch on to. Give us some positivity. And there are Vanderbilt fans out there, and there are people that will come and support you. But right now, this is not a good product to come yeah. and support. And it's hard to draw people in. I'm not going to invite people out to watch us get drubbed 45 to 6 by Mississippi State. And honestly, Vanderbilt just plays a boring brand of football. I think Clark Lee, in whatever, even if he succeeds, he, he coaches a, go a boring brand of football. Yeah. And that's fine, but that's not what's going to draw you in when you're losing games. The thing that draws in is a off is number one winning and number two offense. Well, Vanderbilt has neither of those right now, so something needs to change. Yeah, look at Tennessee and the crowds they got. That Ole Miss atmosphere, and that's what you get with with an exciting brand of football. And and again, that's what makes Clark Lee's job so much harder. And I think you saw it, Will, after the Colorado State win. We were interested to see the Stanford crowd, and I'll, I'll admit it that the Dudley got a little loud after that. But I think that tells you. You're not going to get a packed atmosphere like James Franklin did until you go out and you beat an SEC team. And again, I don't think if Vanderbilt beats Missouri, you're going to see a packed house at Vanderbilt Stadium. You have to, you have to stack wins. You have to stack. And, and Clark Lee talks about winning the response. You've got a, a one, one of the worst teams in the SEC, Missouri, coming to town. We're going to see. We're going to see what this team can do. And and well, th this is this is more of this is a deep dive. And and I'd love to you know get a guy like Bruno Reagan on and and, and you know mm -hmm. one of those alums and just talk because you've seen alums on Twitter. Um, you've seen Ryan Seymour who has just basically let it all out on Twitter. And mm -hmm. and for Vanderbilt people, I think we like seeing that from the passion from the alums. But it's now Vanderbilt's administration's turn to take that anger and to put all your chips on the table and say we're going all in on football. We're fine with what we have with baseball. We're fine with what we have for basketball, but it's time. Football, you're getting how much money are they getting a year from the SEC? I mean, they're, they're, there's, I mean, they're, every every Vanderbilt is getting just as much as a lot of these other te other teams. Maybe not Alabama, but will they, they 
I'm with you. The deserve factor of this is is ridiculous. Show us, and and it's up to this team. It's up to Clark Lee to finally show us something. So we'll see. Yeah, that, uh, what... that's that's where I think fans have the issue. Is you've seen no investment into this football program from a school each SEC school receiving in 2019, 2020, over 45 million dollars just yes. from the revenue check. So. That is where, and where we is that issues. going? Where's That's, that money going? That is it. It's Vanderbilt is a private university. They're the only private university in the 14 school conference, the SEC. So they don't have to release where that money goes. Their, their budgets are not public record. What they That's pay the, the coaches is not public record. And they are just, they're using that money for other academic projects, which is fine. Other schools do that as well. But clearly Vanderbilt is using more of that money for academics and not funneling it back into the student athletes that earned that money for your university. So absolutely, and, this, and this is on the priority registration. I'm tired. Is another I'm thing. done. I'm done here and talk. I'm done with Candace Story Lee's talk. I'm done with Clark Lee's talk. I want to see something in action. I want to. We see need to see shovels in the plans. ground. I keep hearing about these plans and facility upgrades. That's fine. It takes time. Give us something. Show us something. I'm, I've seen nothing. I've seen nothing from Clark Lee about he, what he's talked about with building a culture. I've seen almost nothing from Candace Story Lee in actuality of these plans and big broad Vandy United besides the damn sticker on the side of that stupid still blank black wall on the, on the inside of that field and still nothing done about the blank wall above on the top of Vanderbilt Stadium in that horseshoe. If you gave me a budget of $500,000 of that 45.5 mil, and gave me a salary of $40,000 a year, that stadium would look so much better just off me. And, and it's ridiculous that they won't do anything about the decrepit nature of a lot of that stadium and the crappy nature of their entire game day experience, and it's an embarrassment. And that goes with winning on the field. You've got to win as well, and, and that's that's exactly what, what, what is entailed in this job. And immediately after this season, Will, what I think a lot of Vandy fans want to see is not just those physical plans, but start. Put those shovels in the ground. I mean, immediately after the season's over, two week, well, week after, two weeks after, exactly. let's see it. Let's see something. And so that that's that's a message. That's a message, and and from all of Vanderbilt fans. And and again, I th I think a lot of Vandy fans aren't even trying to send messages anymore. That they they've gone quiet, and that's never a good thing. Now, baseball, they still have all the support in the world. Basketball, there's some momentum going into that season, but football, you've got to put in the work. So. Well, this is a conversation for another time, which I want to have. I want to keep yes. this going. Uh, but, you know, we, and it's a hard. You've got a season going on, but these are the issues that we talk about during a season like this. So, well, we got one more thing to talk about, though. Missouri uh, coming in next weekend. They are a 17-point favorite over Vandy, another line that I initially looked at. And I think after losing to Mississippi State, you go, okay, you know, Vanderbilt didn't even come close to covering. But I'm not surprised. Uh, this is a home game. Even though, you know, and, and even though Vandy is likely, you know, they're going to be playing pissed off. I, I just, you know, you, it's, it's what you've done for me lately. And so, again, winning the response, Will. So, we'll see. 17-point favorite. Uh, I know you're probably not, you're not in agreement with that. Yeah, I, man, this, I think I got a real slap in the face of how bad South Carolina is. I, I yes. think that's what I really took. And they got destroyed from the, by from the, Yeah, from the Mississippi State game, I think more than anything from Vanderbilt or Mississippi State, I just took there is a huge gap between Vanderbilt and South Carolina and everyone else. And mm -hmm. I think Missouri is in the Mississippi State tier. I think Missouri has offensive talent and can move the ball, but their defense has just struggled yes. um, throughout the year. Kind of, it, It's not the same as Mississippi State, but the same talent level. Yes. 
I think right up there. I don't, I don't, I'm shocked. This is not uh, almost a four score line. I'm really, I'm pretty pretty surprised. It should be higher. Yeah. I I think after the performance you saw from Mississippi state and basically saying that Vanderbilt, no matter who they play, won't move the ball. It doesn't matter if it's UConn, the worst team in FBS football, they're going to struggle. Or it's a great defense against Georgia. They're not going to be able to move the ball. And so basically you just can look at the opponent's offense and say, is this one of the worst offenses in the country? That's how Vanderbilt's going to compete and cover lines. Well, Missouri's not necessarily one of the worst yes. offenses in the country. So they're going to put up about 40, 50 points on yeah. us. And, I was, and probably Vanderbilt's going to probably be right around where they average, which is under 13 points a game. Yeah. And, you know, this will be a fun, this will be a fun preview. We got it's Missouri week, baby. Uh, so I, I was surprised it was only seventeen. That, that, was, ga- I, I, that was gambling. Will talking on the uh, yes. on that line afterwards. That's not the. That's not going to be my preview for the Missouri game. Yes, that was yes. just looking from an objective gambler's perspective. That is that is that line is pretty low. And I will not bet against Vanderbilt. But if I was if I could bring myself to do it, I would bet the Missouri line. And I think a lot of people bet on Vanderbilt. Not a lot of people, but I heard of a few people that bet on Vanderbilt on Saturday, and they were not happy. So I don't think you're going to no. be seeing much of that anymore. So we'll again, we it's it's still game week. We got Missouri coming in, but uh, but man, that was tough. That was it was tough to talk about anything positive. Uh, but we're going to keep going. This tour, TDR rolls on, and, and that's our mindset. That's our mantra. So so we're going to keep going. We we got Missouri coming up, and and that does it here for episode one eighteen here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.